Hey, 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 listeners. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Chuck Tuck, and I am the host of Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. And in today's podcast, I have the opportunity to speak with and learn a lot of information about 501c3s from the CEO and founder of Instant Nonprofit. Their website is instantnonprofit.com. And today's conversation with Kristen Lefer, I sure hope I didn't butcher the last name, was very informative. So please sit back, listen, and enjoy the podcast. And thanks for always coming back. And please remember to rate, follow, subscribe, and share the podcast. All right, let's get right into it right after this announcement. So, Christian, uh, what is it that you do and how do you help people? Well, to bring it from, you know, there's there's all kinds of levels in, in life, right? And maybe we're aware of them or, you know, not at different points. But there's the practical, the, the tactical, the strategic, and the spiritual, right? And so what we do as a company at InstantOnProfit.com, we are a company that has a done-for-you 501c3 formation service. So if you wanted to start a nonprofit, whether you're a local Little League team or a world game-changing you know, charity water level organization, you can come to us and we will do all of the paperwork, tee everything up. There is nothing that we don't do that is needed to get a 501c3 from idea to IRS approval and beyond. Then you so, need to do fundraising and operational, and we support that as well. Wow. We also help people understand where they are on this sort of hero's journey, right, on that ascension ladder, because... These things, these ideas that people have to make a difference in the world come from very deep in the heart. Uh, generally, if you're you know, a student of any of this kind of hero's journey stuff, we, are, we, 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 we become who we are early in childhood through our experiences, and then later we get to activate the solutions for those things in adulthood. And so I get to help people who may or may not be ready to do something like start a nonprofit and place them on that timeline, on that hero's journey. Where am I? Is this something that is just kind of calling to my heart or is this something I'm ready to full-blown jump into? Huh. So basically you could call yourself a um, uh, turnkey operation to help folks out to get them set up for a nonprofit. Uh, now, with the 501, there's also is like a 503, or there's several different types of nonprofits that people have to really be aware of, and do you help them guide that way, saying this is the best way to go? Yeah, in most cases, the way I put it is that the 501c3, the, the nonprofit corporation with the tax status, that is IRS 501, you know, section 501 language, it's a vehicle, right? So... What my job is kind of like, uh, you know, when, when you're looking for a car, do you need a do you need a pickup? Do you need a little just grocery getter? Do you need something big that can fit everyone? You need a big school bus. They're, they all have their own purposes. Some go on road, some go more off road, etc. So, there are a number of different 501c type organizations. 97 plus percent are 501c3. That's what you would consider any charity, from the Red Cross to like I said, the local PTA or, um, or a recovery center or whatever. 
there are different types of 501 that are very de dealt with and that we help with very uh, on a very rare basis compared to 501c3. Some of the more common ones that you might have heard of are chambers of commerce type organizations. That's a 501c6. The money, the donations, the differences are the donations to these other types are typically not tax deductible. So if I make uh, just at that line where I'm going to get kicked into the next tax bracket at, say, $90,000 a year, sometimes I can give away $3,000 of my income, right? Give a $3,000 gift to an organization and save $5,000 on my tax exposure. So tax deductibility matters. That's a big motivation for people to give to a 501c3 when you can't write off a gift to a 501c6 chamber or a 501c4 more political issue advocacy type group. And there are a number of other 501c organizations that are very purpose specific and probably not relevant to most people. So if, if it's a charity, it's a 501c3 typically. Now we've started 3,500 charities from end to end and I mean it might be 4,000. I mean at this point we're, we're growing quickly. So uh, more important than how many we've done is what we're learning in the process of having being, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed. I get to wake up every morning and sit at the epicenter of all this wonderful, good energy and all of these amazing people who want to make a difference in the world. And so we're listening when they call and they, they set up a strategy session or, you know, download one of our materials. We're listening. And what we're finding is that many are not aware that starting a nonprofit corporation, which happens at the state level, is not getting 501c3 tax exempt status. And that's because that is a federal tax designation. It is not the entity itself. And so what happens is they go to somebody else. I'll just generically, I don't like to beat up any other companies. So I'll just generically say like rocket zoom type companies out there. They'll form the corporation and sell the nonprofit. But what they don't say is that it doesn't include getting that all-important IRS tax-exempt status that is 501c3. Okay. Um, I want to still go on this a little bit more, then I'm going to backtrack and find out about your history, your personal history, and how all this got started, how you started this. But I have and have had a number of friends who, you know, have an interest in the 501c3. They want to be able to do a nonprofit. And I've got a couple friends that actually do that, and they work with only nonprofit organizations, and they themselves are nonprofit. So the question that, you know, and I know nothing about this, but the question my friends always pose is, how do I make money myself? So is there uh, like a dollar amount designation that says you cannot go over this when you pay yourself a salary? How does that work for those people out there that say, you know, I do want to donate some of my time. I do want to do charity. I do want to do good, but I want to make sure that I am able to help myself survive. So, Of course. I mean, one of the main things that I learned before I even got into nonprofit work, I went in, through some training, uh, actually by a nonprofit, and I, little did I know I was going into the nonprofit rabbit hole. And I went to this training, and one of the laws of the process that they were teaching me uh, was you can't save the world if you can't pay the rent. And what that was teaching us, you know, mushy-headed college students at that time is that you might have something you're super passionate about is really important and will just save, the, you know, save the world, make the world a better place, all of these lofty, great things that are very important. And, and you know, you got to have passion. 
However, you've got to also understand these are businesses. This is a business. There has to be, and, and business being defined as it has to bring in more than it spends, even though it's a, quote, nonprofit. That simply means that your gifts are tax deductible. Primarily, the two things are your gifts are tax deductible, and you don't pay federal income tax. And, of course, there are ways that you can apply that to the state and local level and eliminate tax burdens for the corporation, the nonprofit corporation as well. Um, but the fact that you can't save the world if you can't pay the rent means that it's important to pay attention to how you're going to fund this activity. How are you going to articulate this mission so that people can be invited to a bigger life by giving to it? And in so doing, you can absolutely get paid just as any other business would pay its employees for the work that you do in executing the mission of the nonprofit. So in that way, it's very, very similar to any other business. And in fact, there's so much, I would say that the number one area of misinformation out there on the internet is around something called conflict of interest, known as conflict of interest. Conflict of interest is often uh, poet posed, the myth is that you can't uh, be paid as staff, you can't have a job getting paid by your nonprofit while also, um, uh, sorry, you can't get paid by your nonprofit while being on the board of directors or being an officer. That's simply not true. Um, in this case, you can be paid as, an off, uh, as a staff member when you really just need to volunteer as a director and an officer. And I can elaborate on that, but I don't want to take, take this question too far. But it's really important to understand that when people start a nonprofit, they may want to immediately or as soon as possible transition from the job that they have to the passion that they want to serve. And that maybe the number one expenditure of that nonprofit is to pay the founder to do the work of the nonprofit and get those volunteers, build that website, and make this thing a reality and bring the mission to the world. Okay. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean... Uh, the information that I looked at really did not put it that way, that you do have to pay yourself first uh, in order to get things going. Because if you're paying out and you're not bringing anything in, it, you, you can't pay the rent and you're not doing anybody any good. That's right. Um, is, is there so uh, I'm going to be the dummy guy and I'm going to ask because I know there's a lot of people who, again, don't know. But is, is there a... Um, is there a limit? Like, you know, some people say, well, I'm the CEO of this nonprofit. I should be making an X amount of six figures or whatever it might be. Um, is, is there a, like a guideline or guidance set to people have to follow or, or do they just follow it because of them themselves because they say this is a nonprofit and this is a passion and I want to help? There are a couple of ways that one can answer that question that make this essentially a self-regulating type of organization. People also have the, you know, are under the myth that there's a ton of government oversight, that they're going to be looking over your documents and looking at how much you make, etc. Mostly this is self-policing or it's societally, it's, it's socially policed. Uh, uh, a certain organization I won't uh, name, but it had warriors in its name that's really big got in some trouble, got some hot water a few years ago because they were paying their executives a massive percentage of the money that came into the organization. 
that's where people start to get concerned and go, is the money I'm donating to these making it to the soldiers who need it or the, the people coming home from the, from the field uh, in our military? Or is it all just getting paid to the executives? And I think that's the concern with everyone. The, the, the answer to that typically, and in 99% of the organizations that you do not hear about on the news, is it's just like, another, it's just like other businesses. Excessive executive compensation is always a problem. Power in general for humans is a problem. Is the president, our senators, our representatives, our nonprofit leaders abusing their position of power in order to enrich themselves? This is even the question with private company CEOs because we, want, we all want workers to be treated well. We all want CEOs to be compensated well enough to attract talent. And it's that balance that really governs most nonprofits. There is not any hard and fast percentage. And as I said, it might make sense for a new nonprofit to spend 90% of its income paying that one person, that founder who has the vision and is organizing the volunteers and building the website overnight, you know, on uh, watching YouTube videos with an 11 year old teaching you how to build a WordPress site or something, <laughs> right? Maybe it makes sense that a huge percentage of the initial funds is spent on the person standing up the organization. Is that gonna fly long term when it's bringing in a million dollars? No, no executive director should make $900,000 at an organization that is bringing in a million. So it really is kind of, you could call it the smell test, you could call it the commensurate value test, but in every business, there's sort of a check and balance involved in how much somebody can be compensated. But there really isn't anyone uh, watching over and imposing particular restrictions on nonprofits. And in most cases, and I mean, I tell you, like I said, we've done thousands with our done-for-you end-to-end idea-to-IRS approved process, and I haven't, had, I haven't run into where any of our customers have been you know, acting in a nefarious way or even in a way that is ethically questionable. Now, maybe I just haven't heard about it, but most people who start nonprofits are very good people who, if anything, aren't paying themselves enough or aren't equipped to raise the kind of money they need to in order to pay their salary. And they're working very hard or they're working evenings and weekends and also be able to pay people to help them run the organization so they don't suffer from burnout and stop serving the mission altogether. You touched the problem. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you touched on a really good thing, um, and I want to ask that, but the first question is, I want to make sure that I'm referring to your company the correct way as an organization. Is that what I would should refer to a nonprofit as an organization, or is, does it yes. really matter? Yes, I mean, a nonprofit is typically called an organization, like if you called it a company, that wouldn't necessarily make sense to people, simply because of the context we've, we've given it. Uh, in the U.S., we call these we call these entities uh, organizations, nonprofit okay. organizations. They are, in fact, corporations. They are nonprofit corporations, and all a corporation is, if you go back to like Mother England, the state charters the existence of what is essentially a person, something that has agency of itself, and there is some limited liability. There's some liability protection for the people who start and for and, and maybe fund and serve that organization. Because nobody would ever start a company if, you know, when the ship went down with the goods on it in the Atlantic, if everyone was going to lose their family fortune, nobody would have ever started a shipping company or a, or a whatever, whatever, whatever have you is the product. 
So in this case, uh, a nonprofit is often called an organization, but it is centered, the entity is a corporation. And uh, just like we are a, a C corporation, and we, you know there are shares, et cetera, that's the primary distinction in the corporation type. A nonprofit is what's called a non-stock, non-share corporation. Nobody owns it. The board governs it. The board is the ultimate governing authority, which is why when we create bylaws, we have to have really solid uh, board um, processes if someone leaves the board or if you're going to add to the board. That has to be pretty bulletproof because in a regular corporation, the shareholders can rush in if the board has a failure or if the board fails to do its job, the shareholders naturally rush in and govern it according to their appropriate amount of shares that they have. Nonprofits, you can't do that. So you have to have a really solid uh, process to have a board. You could have a board of three, that's the minimum, or you could go up in uneven, you know, in odd increments to five or seven or even more because you don't want to have a voting deadlock. You want to be able to make decisions and the directors and that board of directors is who makes the decision in a corporation that is a nonprofit. I'm glad you said that because my next question was going to be, do I need to have a minimum of, I thought five on the board, but three is the minimum on this. Uh, the other thing too, with your organization, um, do you go beyond or do you offer the additional service on, as far as helping people try to bring in the funds? Uh, you, you help the individual or um, the board members if they've got everything else set up to try to uh, set everything up as a nonprofit. But I, the next step is really, well, I don't know if it's the next, but one of the steps is I need to bring in funds. How do I do that? Do you have a course and you teach these folks, this is what you do, this is how you go out there and you knock on doors, that type of situation? We do. We have uh, a seed money course that is really just very accessible. It's the most basic. Anyone can do this. doesn't require any software. doesn't require any private uh, prior knowledge on how to do this. And what we want to do, right, is like in any area, and, and I'm sure when you started your podcast, uh, you might have been like, okay, I'm not going to do this perfectly, but how do I get a quick win? How do I record an episode? How do, we, how, do I, how do I get it out there and publish it? How do I get some feedback from people on you know, what's working? And so you want to start at that very basic level. And one of the things people do with nonprofits especially is they, they really psych themselves out and they sit there and stack up like the 157 items that they need to do when really there's just a few things they need to do next to become successful. And especially if they have instant nonprofit help them form the nonprofit, we handle all of that so that you can focus on your mission. That's our mission as a company. And so uh, fundraising is definitely along that path. I would say that understanding the basics of how to seed fund your organization is really important even before you start. Um, but some people put that out front and they line up uh, a handful of people who uh, commit to giving money before they start the nonprofit corporation and get the tax exempt status and everything. Um, and, and they just get the commitments. That way they know once they start, they have that $5,000 or something that they need to pay for some help starting the organization, uh, maybe pay for a website and sign up for some basic online tools and, and social media, et cetera. Mm. Some put the money out of their pocket. Many, many of our customers just pay for this. They can get reimbursed later or they can declare that a gift after the fact. That's easy. 
and they they just sort of build it and and hope that they you know build it and they will come right is the is a philosophy there and it's fine to do that either way but you do want to be ready to raise money once you do start the nonprofit and there are as many different ways to raise money as there are business models out there in the world some organizations are exclusively fee for service like maybe you've been to a seminar on how to uh, improve yourself or heal from trauma or whatever and you have to buy the seat and the books and that's a hundred dollars and that's how the nonprofit makes their money maybe makes the bulk of their money other organizations purely donation driven and you've got all kinds of different business models in between and of course like I said this is a business there's always a business model but with nonprofits you usually have a more heart-centered purpose-driven product and certainly the customers, whether you consider the beneficiaries of the, you know, the foster kids you're helping or the donor, um, those are a little bit different too because they're people who care about something in particular or they have a particular need. Okay. Um, so this is the perfect time to um, have you tell everyone exactly the name of your organization and where they can go to hopefully – um, use your services. Absolutely. If you go to instantnonprofit.com slash behind the story, then anyone can access a 10 lesson boot camp that we have, which really helps people understand, well, what do I, you know, what if I have this passion? I've been maybe serving, uh, assistant coaching at the local little league or soccer team. And I want to start a league of my own or a team of my own. Or maybe they have been giving to an organization that is not uh, running itself well, and they want to go ahead and start that themselves. They can find out through our boot camp at instantnonprofit.com slash behind the story, and they can find out what do I need to do before I start the nonprofit. Things like a name, and we provide a one-sentence mission statement formula, et cetera. A lot of great value there. They can also book a strategy call, find out where they are on that kind of hero's journey, um, in, in their lives and, and are they ready or is there something else that they need to know before they can make that decision, share it with their spouse or board members, etc. And then the third thing they can do is just um, get some of the awesome assets that we have on our website that serve so many of the different questions people have. Chances are we have a download or we have a video or something that we can share with you just to make you comfortable because whether somebody is looking for a, a, to start a really small nonprofit, a local PTA, Little League, or start the next you know, charity water level organization, we've got a package that fits that. And our mission is to help you serve your mission. So whatever it is along that spectrum, we'll help you find the right thing and, and, and make it work for you. Hmm. Uh, a, a couple of things here. So just like with social media and just about anything else, I always say a name is very important. So is this the same thing with the nonprofit? Is picking the right name for your organization really important? Yes. Uh, I think we can all remember back in Y2K days, right? Uh, people would, they'd, they'd get an email and it would be, you know, Chris Y2K or, you know, 2000, right? The year that they got the email or whatever. Then they realized the next year, well, that sounds awfully dated now. Um, or maybe they were excited about something that was culturally relevant in, in, in other than Y2K, like um, the, the coronavirus, the pandemic, a any topic. What we do is we have a four-step naming process, and we do have a download on our website 
and a, and a blog post on how to name your nonprofit. So if you go to instantnonprofit.com and search in the upper right box, naming, you'll see we have some articles and great downloads about that. And there are four steps to naming a nonprofit. You want it to be easy to say, spell, and remember. You want it to maybe have a positive, uplifting connotation. Um, you might want it to reflect what the organization does uh, inside its name, right? Habitat for Humanity is a great example, or Special Olympics. And then the fourth thing is you want to check and make sure that it doesn't have any negative cultural connotations. And I always give the example of when Chevy tried to sell the Nova in, uh, in South America, Nova means no go in Spanish. So not a great name for a car if you're going to be appealing to multiple uh, languages there. So right. same kind of thing in naming your nonprofit. You want something that's going to stick and be memorable and serve you now in this mission and maybe you're going to pivot. Maybe you're going to adjust how you do things along the lines. And so you want it to be kind of a name for the ages as well. Yeah, so true. Like you said, you need to make sure that you're not um, going to make that name dated by picking something that's happening now, that's relevant now. Uh, this is just something that I uh, talked to somebody else on the podcast, and I, I asked them, so why is it that this type of show that you're in, Star Trek, so relevant now today and tomorrow and he said because it does not pertain it does have it, it's got like future relevance and interest and future and relevance today mm -hmm. so it can go on forever so i guess it's kind of the same thing yeah it's exactly would, right and, and your nonprofit appeals to people and really serves people in multiple levels yes maybe you're bringing lunch to kids who can't afford it or you're um you know, you're doing this trauma healing type of thing that that person needs at that moment in their life. But they're also watching you. And so you're serving uh, to show sort of at a meta level how people can operate and go from not knowing anything to knowing something, right? Even the fact mm -hmm. that you didn't know anything about nonprofits and now you run a nonprofit is sort of a meta teaching that everybody's going, hmm, well, if they could do that, I could do that too. And that's totally separate from your mission. And when you bring up Star Trek, I mean, all of the different characters uh, represent different elements of the human psyche and elements of our human tribe that we, we have here. And it's about getting along and it's about different perspectives. And don't we need that today? Oh, we do more than ever. <laughs> uh, one last thing that I want to ask you before we really get into your background is since we've had the pandemic, uh, I shouldn't say we've had, since we're still fighting through it. Have you found that over the past couple of years that there have been more people looking for um, starting a nonprofit organization for better or for worse? And for better or for worse, what has been the one of the top nonprofits? I don't want to make this question where you say something and somebody goes, oh, I'm going to go start that one because I could start that and but there's no passion but right have there been more because you've done like I said nearly 4,000 um you, you've helped out um and over the past two years people have lost jobs people are looking for new things people are are that great um departure from corporate world mm -hmm. are, so are you seeing a lot of people now jumping into the nonprofit sector organization or wanting to start something yeah, great question. Thank you. I, 
I can't say I've parsed the data too much um, year over year. Plus, the go the government data can can tend to lag a little bit about how many 501s are started per year or even per quarter, especially. Um, what I will say is that what I'm noticing is that people are sort of waking up to the question, uh, and it's really a fundamental question that has plagued philosophers and humans for time immemorial, and it is, is my, are my actions matching my deep values that I have as a, as a person? Um, because like I said, we're all colored by our childhood experiences and then sort of maybe an awakening of, well, I really don't think it's right that um, you know, uh, these, these people are, are oppressed by these other people or that uh, dogs run around in alleys you know, hungry. And that's always bothered me since I was a little kid when I had a puppy, right? Everybody's got this, these things that kind of make us who we are and give us some of our, our passion. And then in adulthood, and this is right along with that hero's journey question, in adulthood, there's the awakening to um, being able to do something. You become of agency the older you get, and you, you get a job, and you have some money, or you, uh, you realize, hey, you know, what's my purpose on this planet? And I think what the, the times that we live in, what that has done is caused all nonprofits that already exist to reexamine their values. Where are they putting this money? What are they investing in? And it's causing individuals to say, is my life's activity every day matching my values. And if it's not, starting a nonprofit is one of the ways to actualize a life that more resembles the values that you hold dear and the, the activities that you conduct. So I don't know about the actual numbers, but we have definitely seen a shift in how grant makers are giving money to nonprofits. So that makes a huge opportunity for new nonprofits to appeal to grant makers that they might have been closed off from to address things that are relevant today. Uh, and it also is really getting people to just, you know, I think we are seeing an up, uptick in people getting off their duff and saying, I have had it with not doing anything. I want to make a difference. I've been thinking about this for years. And most people I do talk to about starting a nonprofit uh, have been harboring this dream for years. And what ticked it, what, what made that happen is they're realizing they're, they're not doing it in real time. And so the great resignation and all these things like you're mentioning are all factors in people getting back to their own values. Well, just listening to you and all the information that you've provided so far, it's making me think back 25, 30 years ago when I had an idea, a thought, and wanted to do a nonprofit, which I still think it's needed. I may, I, I may have to do that now. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I'd love to help in any way we can. You'll be the first that I'm going to call if I do jump into doing this. Um, and it is a passion. So I think it would be a benefit for, for me, for the love of my life and, you know, prolonging my happiness and to help out masses. Um, but for you, it, some of the stuff that you've said is probably already have been answered as far as why and how you got involved with this. But for you personally, Christian, it's what made you jump ship from the corporate world, wherever you were at, into starting uh, this organization? Yeah, that is a really important question. And it's really important to have, it's, it's been therapeutic, actually, for, for me to go back and really take a look at why I've been who I have been and, and done what I have done in my life. 
And when I was eight years old, my, my mom called me in. Uh, I was a, you know, riding my bike in North Jersey and in the woods with my friends near my house. And my mom called me in. And she had taken my sister, who was almost four, to the doctor. And what they found and what the doctor told my mom was that even though my sister, you know, for all outward appearances, that she was like every other kid. But the fact was she would never quite be like every other kid. She was special. Uh, she was mentally retarded was the term back then. Uh, developmentally disabled is what we call it now. But regardless, she would never quite be able to enjoy and, and, and you know, live at the same level as the other kids intellectually, etc. Although she is the best human that I've ever met. Because if you throw the ball to my sister, take her outside to play, she is your best friend for life. And uh, so I grew up around, I was like, hey, mom, you know, she's fine with me. I don't have any other sisters to compare her to. And she laughs and we, you know, we have a great time. So I went back out to play with my friends. But what I grew up around was organizations like Special Olympics and other wonderful people who just wanted to show up and help people like my sister. And I didn't think anything of it. Of course, our own li life is always the most normal thing to us, right? But fast forward to 2010 when I went to start a nonprofit with a few friends and I said, okay, you know, give me the application. How hard can that be? Why don't you guys go, you know, raise a little money and, and build the website and, and, you know, build the mission. And I became morally outraged and I wasn't surely, really sure why at first. I was morally outraged that it would take a year, the IRS told me, on average to approve the 501c3 application. Um, so you start the corporation in the state. That doesn't take as long. Uh, but you, ultimately, you file with the IRS for tax-exempt status, and that would take a year to approve after everything else was all done. And I remember just being, like, just really not accepting that an, uh, answer. And what I did was I uh, took the extension. I took the phone number that was given to me for my agent at the IRS who was supposedly had their file, my file on their desk, and they were never available when I was when I was. So I started calling other numbers by changing the last couple phone numbers in that in that <laughs> string, so that I would go twenty or thirty extensions north or south and get somebody at some desk who would probably be in the IRS and could answer some of these questions. What makes this a perfect? What what would make the perfect file for you? What would make your day better? What would make you able to punch out to lunch a few minutes early with one less file on your desk? Which is ultimately what every bureaucratic desk worker. Wants to, wants to do. And what I did was I curated this into something I call the love letter to a bureaucrat. And I tried it. I sent it in. And I got an approval in about 45 days. And I was just blown away. I then did it for a school where I was in a race. The founders of the school came to me and they were friends in town. And they said, we have a, a person who just had a tech exit over, over a billion dollars. He's willing to fund this school if you can get the 501c3 in time to register school kids for this school year, which is about seven weeks away. And after a restless night of sleep, I was like, I'll take that challenge and I will drive to the IRS if I have to and get this thing approved. And thankfully, I over-delivered and got that approval in about five and a half, six weeks. And, the, you know, I, I didn't want to face a bunch of unhappy school kids or lose any friends over the process, <laughs> but I needed to test this. And so that's kind of how I got into this whole process. And it all stems back to when I was a kid and just seeing these wonderful people show up and help people like my sister. Wow. So you're really self-taught, but it is from that 
passion and that desire and love to help. Yeah, I mean, you could call it love. You could also call it, you know, being from North Jersey and being like, who do I get? Whose lapels do I have to grab here? You know, this is BS. <laughs> Somebody should do something about this. Yeah. God, that's great. Um, is, is there a first step that folks need to do? Uh, I think you may have answered this, but is there a first step that folks need to do when considering starting a 501c3 nonprofit organization? You know, one of the main things that I've learned uh, just in my regular life and, and going through sort of a, you know, a crisis and rebirth in my own life where, you know, business wasn't working, my, my, my marriage wasn't working, uh, a lot of things in life were not as I had hoped that they would be. And I had to step back and go, okay, maybe I don't know as much as I thought. And, and how, what am I doing that's not working? And it turned out that because of my, my upbringing and my background, I wasn't taught as a, as a kid to value myself and take care of myself, sort of that self-care piece. And, you know, some people call it putting your own oxygen mask on or loving yourself. And uh, what I found was that it's important for me to accept, you know, myself for who I am. And the reason I bring that up is that was like really the beginning of a whole rebirth of life where everything aligned in a really beautiful way because I started considering that not only do I need to treat other people well, but I need to treat myself well as, uh, in addition. And this journey for everyone who's thinking about starting a nonprofit is going to be unique to you. There is no formula. And everyone in the world, right, they're selling their book, they're selling their program based on my formula will work for you. I don't believe in that. Now, I know that our service works for you, and I know that I can share with people how to find for yourself where you are on this hero's journey in your own life, because every human's life is on a hero's journey. That's why stories like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and all these epics, they are all written according to the hero's journey, and that appeals to everyone. So there is some universality, but where there isn't a, a universal answer is some people are going to just go out there and start serving, or they already have been serving. They're putting the saucer of milk for the, the lost kittens you know, in the alley on their back porch. Some people are very business-minded, and they're like, I want to make a list of exactly what I need to do before I ever step foot out and start this thing. That's right for them. That's why they're an actuary, and the other person is an artist. So it really is an individual process. But what, is, what, it, what, what works for everyone is that there are a certain number of things that you need to know to start and a certain series of steps that you want to take. And of course, you do want to do what's legal and ethical mm -hmm. and do things in the right order to an extent. But everyone is so different. I would really be hesitant to say that you have to start with this step first or that step first. The first step really is the, the seed, which only you can bring. And that's the idea and the passion and the recognition that something could be made better in the world. And that is the first step. There are five steps to a nonprofit, you know, from seed to startup, putting some legal, uh, some, some legal formation around the thing, getting the entity set up. Then there's uh, systemize, right, where you just set up your Google Docs and all those things so you can keep everything organized. Then you're going to scale, and it won't become a burden because, you know, you're going to have the systems in place. And ultimately, uh, make it sustainable. It's sustainability. So you go from seed to startup 
to systemized, to scale, to sustainable. And inside that framework, there are a number of steps that can be arranged according to who you are and what your capacity is and what resources you have. Okay. Well, I'm going to step back and call it, that's like setting up a business. So you need to really know what you're it doing, really especially on those five steps. Um, but like I said, it's, it's, it's good to know and refreshing to hear from somebody uh, such as yourself that is a professional in this field that you, you do have two brains of thought. You, you do have your business mind and you do have your creative folks. And that yep. part of it, you take your own step. But like I said, there are the f- first five important steps that everybody has to take. So, yes. I like that. This has been a wealth of information and really good for me. Like I said, it, it's kind of lit a fire under me thinking maybe I need to rethink what I wanted to do all those years ago for um, – a nonprofit, and hopefully this has got the other people who do have a passion to to help or to do something to get them to go out there and do it. Yeah, get a new job serving your passion and leave the 26 or 32, however you look at it, challenging steps to starting the entity. Leave that to someone who is an expert because you're only going to need to do that once. Mm-hmm. What you bring is that that fire, that mission, that that. Uh, Rolodex that you have, your family and friends who can help, and the vision for a better future, that's the thing that only you can bring. And so we try to take the burdens of the bureaucratic process off of you. And even fundraising is a process. Some of these other operational things, it is a process that can be learned, but your main focus can and and probably should be on the mission so that you can see that world change in the way that you've envisioned Yeah, you're absolutely right, especially in that, because there are probably so many people out there who want to help, and that would be great at helping. Then they start a nonprofit, but then they stop before they even get started because of the fact that they they don't know how to take those five steps. They don't know how to get things um, organized and started. They've got that mindset of what they want to do. They've got that love and the passion, but they never get there because they haven't used a service such as yours to get them set up. And this, I think, what you offer is a fantastic way for for people to set things up so they could do what they want to do, what they love. Yeah, they often start with an attorney. And as we all know, you give an attorney a retainer, what happens to that retainer? That thing is getting sucked down to zero starting on day one. There isn't a guaranteed outcome. Or maybe other services that are going to help you quote, start a nonprofit, but they're only going to get the nonprofit corporation going. You're going to spend a bunch of money there. They're not going to have a 100% IRS approval guarantee. And that is what we deliver. So even if the IRS makes you jump through a bunch of extra hoops unexpectedly, which sometimes they just do, just like at the airport, you never know if you're going to get pulled aside. Don't you want somebody there to walk you through that, make you feel comfortable and say, don't worry, we got this, you go do that. That's exactly what we do with an absolute ironclad guarantee. As a matter of fact, we recently upped our guarantee, I forgot, to 200%. So we will refund 200% of what you paid if we don't get you approved by the IRS. Why? Well, because we know we're going to get you approved because we have a process on the front end that makes sure that what you want to do is actually an IRS exempt activity. It falls under that educational, scientific, and community uh, uh, type of activity that the IRS will say, yes, this is 501c3, stamp it approved, and boom, 
you're through our process in a third or a half of the time that you otherwise might might be. Wow. All right. There's no reason for anybody not to use you folks. So, uh, Christian, thank you very much for your time. I don't know if there's anything else that you feel that's uh, necessary to add. Um, if there is, please add to it. Uh, if not, I think that's a lot of information because we don't want to give too much away and people go, ah, now I know exactly what to do. No, if, if anyone uh, needs any help, we, we have free resources. We just want you to get down the road and make that difference in the world, and that's really our mission. And the growth will come. We're, we're not worried about that. So, Chuck, if there's any way we can help you, any of your friends, any of your listeners, come on by, and uh, we'd be happy to help. Great. Christian, thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. Have a great day. Can't wait to chat again. Yeah.